Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be taking a look at the new Space Jam. Yes, Space Jam, a new legacy is out. It's in theaters and on HBO Max. If you're a subscriber for this month only, we took a look. We're going to tell you whether or not it's worth your time. We also are taking a look at Gunpowder Milkshake, which you may not have heard of. It's a Netflix action thriller starring a cast of all women. Very cool. Very fun. Maybe not worth the price of admission, especially if you already pay for Netflix, but we'll talk about it in the second half of the show. We're going to look at some new trailers, some things that are coming up that we're excited about and you should be excited about too. Before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news. Andy, first things first, the headline I left on camera because we're streaming this live on Facebook and I forgot to take it off for dramatic effect when we start the show. Uh, Space Jam New Legacy has benched Black Widow at the box office with a $31.7 million opening weekend. Who would have thought Space Jam would overtake the house of mouse, right? Would beat out a Disney film. Who, who, who saw this coming? Uh, it's a little bit of a surprise for sure. And it's also notable that Space Jam... Uh, a, a new legacy here has surpassed the first Space Jam as well, not adjusted for ins inflation, but still a very strong uh, showing. Uh, but a lot in this story, uh, the the drop off of Black Widow was significant, uh, 67%, which is massive for a Marvel movie and would generally be an indicator of kind of a bad movie. But um, a lot of this, I think, has to do with uh, Disney+. Plus. Um, there, uh, they had a lot of people who just bought it on that service last week, and uh, pre presumably this week as well. And so, there's been a big drop in the theater numbers because pr I think people can just watch it uh, elsewhere. I'm gonna be honest; I did not see Space Jam making 31 million dollars since opening weekend for a couple of reasons, uh, mainly because it's available on HBO if you already have the subscription. Um, but I'm also not that surprised seeing these numbers. Like, I guess I figured it'd make somewhere like 15, 20. So 31 is a bit of an outlier, but it's not too much. Uh, we've got a pretty, pretty good audience, kids, right, who do not have a whole lot currently coming out in theaters that they can go see, that they want to be really interested in. Uh, it's got a little live action animation, which encourages a little bit of, um... I, I don't know. I think I think it draws eyes from a unique crowd, right? Uh, LeBron James is the lead. He is the goat, and uh, he does not do a whole lot of movies. So seeing him on screen is exciting. I, I think there's a lot of like things this movie does to catch your eye. Uh, I guess I'm surprised that it has kind of knocked Black Widow out of its place. Um, something that theater owners also were quick to, to jump on, uh, our other story this week. Uh, theater owners blasting Disney's day and date strategy for undermining Marvel's, pay, Mar Marvel's box office and future revenues. Um, this is kind of a blend of, of, of our first story, and that's why I kind of thought we'd just stick them together here. Um, after seeing Black Widow doing really poorly, the National Association of Theater Owners has uh, stepped out with a public letter uh, when they said that, uh, I don't know, they basically went over, hey, here's why we think Black Widow did poorly, and it's mostly Disney+. Plus. They are not a big fan of the straight-to-streaming idea, right, being the National Association of Theater Owners. Right, of course. Well, I mean, a big loss. What what they see as as a huge loss in revenue is just it's just a loss in revenue for them. Um, again, Disney did not release the streaming numbers uh, the second week, um, which means they probably weren't anything spectacular. But the thing is, um, Disney gets to keep the majority of that money. They get to keep like. 80% of it as opposed to split it 50 or 60% with the theater owners. So 
Disney still comes out on top if they the the sorry the total gross of Black Widow is at three hundred twenty four million and that's without the second week streamers so that's probably it's even above that so this is going to be probably a half billion dollar property a half billion dollar movie like Disney is doing fine they don't they don't care the theater owners can be as upset as they want and it's again you you can't really say how much revenue is lost because we're still in a pandemic uh, there's not all, you know, I think we're at like maybe 80% um, theaters open, but, you know, uh, other places are having theater closures or theater theater lockdowns and other, um, and it, the movie didn't open in China as well. So there's a lot of other factors of why uh, the the revenue has kind of dropped, but it's still going to make a ton of money. Disney's still going to be fine. It's just the theater owners who are kind of out in the cold. So, yeah, a couple things from me. First off, like the people from NATO need to be like marched out to a field and like guillotined as part of the bourgeoisie. They don't actually need to be guillotined, but uh, I'm I'm frustrated to see that they have problems with this. And I'm, I'm glad to see that they're basically dunking on themselves like no, no Space Jam pun intended. Um, they're going to act like Black Widow somehow did itself a disservice by going straight to a streaming service by saying that another movie that went straight to a streaming service somehow did better and it totally doesn't make any sense. Like, you can't tell me that, like, Space Jam killed it at the box office when it went straight to HBO. Meanwhile, Black Widow did as well. And people still had to pay a premium to get it over there, whereas HBO was available for free. NATO does go through and specify that basically any of the HBO Max films have all done poorly because of this. And they they end their letter saying that uh, the most important answer... Is it the simultaneous release, the idea of releasing a movie in theaters and on streaming services at the same time, is a pandemic-era artifact that should be left to history with the pandemic itself. Now, Disney loses 15% of its revenue to go to platform platform providers when they put Black Widow on there. That means when you watch on your Xbox, 15% of the $30 you spent goes to Microsoft. That's Microsoft's fee for... Disney getting their movie out there. They do not take like 60% or whatever the freaking box office keeps yeah. from Disney's it's 40 proceedings. To 50%, yeah. Yeah. It's it's not even close. Like Disney made way more money doing this and they'll continue doing it because it's better for them and like the National Association of Theater Owners can be upset, but it's it's brazen and an anti-consumer to lie to people and say that somehow movies going on the internet is a bad thing because it just isn't. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what we're saying having more choice and options in how you view new content is bad for you no yeah. it's just bad for the for the theaters and and again uh we we also need to remember that subscribers are what disney wants and new content gets that there's probably some a few you know thousands of people who signed up for disney plus because black Widow was going to be on there this month um so that's part of why the, you know, they need new content to drag people in, especially that we with Loki just wrapping up, like their TV and movie properties are working really well together. And it's 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 a total it's a win for the consumers, it's a win for Disney. The theater and again, the theater owners need to go over it. And the and the other thing, you can't say that when King Kong or Godzilla vs. Kong is like a half billion dollar property. When Mortal Kombat, like all these movies that are doing the hybrid release are doing really well. Yeah. Because a lot and- a lot of times uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I please I don't. Uh, what, what I was going to say is that just because something is coming out on streaming doesn't mean we won't watch it. Like we, we have gone. You and I have foregone the comfort of our own living room to go seek out to see something in the theater. 
Right. Like uh, they, they specified in this letter, the, the National Association of Theater Owners said that they they estimate uh, based on preview revenue compared to similar titles, Black Widow could have opened up to a, up to $30 million more revenue in the box office. That's less money for Disney. They would have made less if it had made $30 million more million on, on, in, in box office and they hadn't gone to Disney Plus at all. They would have made less money. They made $60 million going to Disney Plus. 15% of that goes to platform holders, which keeps them at what? 15% of 60? I'm not good at math. I didn't go to math school. But like, <laughs> uh, I know I know that's more than 30. I know it's yeah. more than $30 million, which also is less because the theater owners would have taken 50% of 30. Yeah, dude, the numbers don't add up. They still got off on a deal. And for and for one more thing before I move on, for the National Association of Theater Owners to, to point out that piracy is also a huge problem, that online right. pirates are are stealing copies of this. It is a lot more trouble for a pirate to hop online and find a copy of Black Widow and download it and hope they will be above reproach if they were to be caught than it is to hop on Disney Plus and just order or order Black Widow and watch it for $30. I mean, I guess they could steal it if they wanted, but if they were going to steal it, they'd have the beginning a screener version that was ripped from the online version, or they'd be ripping a screener that came off a hard drive that was shipped to a movie theater. Cause that's where typically pirate rips come from. It's from hard drives going to movie theaters. Like, yeah, this is not hard. Like this is, this is frustrating and it's small and it frustrates me that the national association of theater owners seems to have it. So out for the, for the average American's wallet, like get out of here, guys. Like you should be focusing on entertainment instead of money, but that's not how it works. Well, it's like, be, be thankful. Like you, you've gotten, you're getting like blockbuster after blockbuster every week and it's still bringing people to the theater. Like what, what more did you think uh, was going to happen? And yeah, as far as piracy it has been shown pi- piracy, if anything, it helps properties a lot of times because more people will see it. And then a lot of times people go and actually buy that buy that thing or go see that thing and a lot of times someone who pirates wouldn't have paid to go see it like if someone is really that adamant about not paying for it they just won't go they'll just skip it if they can't pirate it a lot of times so mm-hmm. it's it's impossible to put any kind of value or number on what piracy how much that does or doesn't hurt the theater but they always try to re- leverage that <sighs> don't listen to him. Don't, don't don't listen to him, Mickey. You're better than that. We don't we don't we don't need you to send your stuff to theaters only. I like I like stuff going to movie theaters, and I like stuff going at home too. I like people to go see stuff whatever they want. It frustrates me that uh, you know theaters are are ba- basically operated by a group of individuals who feel very differently. That there's one way you should see movies, and that's that's frustrating. But it's a business anyway. That's about it for stories. Slow week at the movies, so we should move on to our first ep- uh, first review of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Space Jam, A New Legacy. Welcome, King James. I'm a cartoon? Oh, I'm shorter than Kevin Hart. No, 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 no. What's up, Doc? Bugs! Bring it here, man! So, Space Jam A New Legacy is the follow-up feature in the Space Jam film franchise, starring Warner Brothers' very own Looney Tunes, Bugs uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Tweety Bird and Sylvester and, you know, the, 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 the Looney Tunes. You, you know, I assume you know who the Looney Tunes are. I'd also assume, if you're going to be watching this movie, that you probably know who LeBron James is, right? Uh, the all-star NBA player. I'm going to be honest, I do not watch basketball. I know very little about the man, but I know he's very good. Uh, And he's surprisingly all right in Space Jam, a movie that uh, takes place around him. 
Space Jam: A New Legacy follows in the footsteps of its predecessor, Space Jam, a movie starring Michael Jordan. When uh, back in the late '90s, I think uh, Michael Jordan was sucked right off a golf course and into the world of the Looney Tunes, where he has to play a game of basketball against the Goon Squad, a bunch of bad Looney Tunes, uh, with the Looney Tunes, Bugs and Daffy and all those guys as his teammates, and uh, to, to save the world or whatever. It features a couple other uh, charming cast members. It's, it's simple. It's Space Jam. It's not a whole lot to it. This follows much in those footsteps. Uh, LeBron James is a father uh, in this movie. His son Darius and Dom are going to be following in his footsteps. But Dom, the younger son, doesn't want to play basketball like his old man. He wants to make video games. By God, video games are a waste of time. All right, they're they're bad for you. They 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 you you you, <laughs> you don't play brain. basketball. Yeah, they rot your brain, and you don't play basketball when you're when you're playing games. And basketball isn't a game; it's work. Anyway. Uh, one day they head to uh, LeBron and, and Dom, his son, head to Warner Brothers to get some presentation on some cool new thing. Uh, they decide it's not for them. And then on their way out of the building, they unwittingly get sucked into a Warner Brothers server by a rogue AI played by Don Cheadle, who rips them away from one another and takes LeBron and drops him in reject land, which is basically where the Looney Tunes are. And he has to partner with Bugs and crew to fight a new goon squad and this rogue AI hopefully get his son back and escape the serververse and 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 go back to playing basketball and being a father and son, I guess. Uh, Space Jam is like two hours long. Uh, it's like an hour 55, which I didn't expect. It is available on HBO Max for this month only or uh, in theaters if you'd like to go see it there. The movie is Space Jam, A New Legacy. Andy, what did you think? So this, I felt like this started okay. I was with it for like the first hour and then it just kind of goes downhill uh, from there. This is definitely, uh, it's a family film, but it's definitely aimed at a young audience, a very young audience, like the under 10 crowd, I think. Yes. Um, and it's it's a movie of like 30 years ago. That's what it, it feels like these kinds of, of Disney movies with like a, this forced strained uh, familiar relationship that you saw in, in the 90s. Um, and then kind of this magical thing happens. It, it feels not of this time. Um, also the, I mean, it, overall I didn't, I did not enjoy this and there's a whole, it's got a lot of problems, <laughs> but it's still a cash cow. It, it still was number one at the box office. So we should, we should talk about why it doesn't work as a mo- as a film, but why it's still uh, successful. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat. It's not good. Um, it's, you know, the most damning reviews I've seen after seeing the film were that it's basically one giant marketing billboard for Warner Brothers properties, which it is. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah. like at, at its at its kind of core, it is not a very good film. And Andy's right. It is it is a baby movie. This is this is a movie for toddlers like and children <laughs> who are not going to know any better, because as soon as you start to tug on any of the threads in this film, everything falls apart like it's very thin. Um, you know, most of it's on a green screen set like it's it, you can look at the trailer and kind of get an idea of what's going on. Also worth mentioning um, before I, I roast him considerably. LeBron is not a is not like an actor by any means. Michael Jordan wasn't either. So it's difficult for me to, to point at his performance as a part of the problem in this film. So let's just get right into it. Andy, you have not seen the original Space Jam, right? No, I don't. No, I, I feel like I should have made you watch that, and and I didn't, and that's okay. I've seen it. I don't think you had to have seen it to get what's going on here. But if I can, if I can voice anything for fans of the original, can I tell you 
honestly, the first one is better for sure. <laughs> like I, I promise uh-huh. it's better. You probably will never watch it, but if you ever get around to it, the first Space Jam is better. Yes, the first Space Jam is better than this one, I promise. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, so LeBron is being a basketball player, right? Doing his thing. The film opens with like him playing a Game Boy at a, at a, at a basketball game. And then his coach takes it out of his hand. He's like, this stuff will rot your brain. It's bad for you. Video, <laughs> this video game feels like bad. a 90s movie. Yeah, right. Well, it kind of it, it kind of opens in the 90s. So in a way, I kind of get that. But uh, then we get a flash forward to like LeBron is LeBron. He's on magazine covers. He lives in a freaking mansion and his sons are hanging out on his basketball court next to his pool behind his fifth house or whatever. Uh, and yeah, his youngest son is doing the same thing dad was doing when he was a kid. He's playing Game Boy and he's like, hey, I just want to play games and do my own thing. Like basketball's okay, but it's not for me. And his dad doesn't quite see it that way. Uh, his wife, Camilla, uh, advises him to respect Dom's wish. Hey, maybe spend some little more time with him. Bring him with you to that meeting tomorrow, Bron. Like, that'll be great. And he goes, okay, that's true. So he brings him to this Warner Brothers meeting. And then things start to kind of tumble. Yeah, they, they go down to the server room and Don Cheadle pops out. And he's like, hey, ca- come on around the corner, kids. Got free candy. And and Dom and LeBron <laughs> get sucked into it. And then it's where the movie, like, unspools. Because... Yeah, so, so that yeah. first hour works. Like, the whole... Yeah, like, the kind of tension with the sun and the yeah going to the like the, like don Cheadle is the this evil ai in the server like everything before they get sucked into the game or whatever is is fine it's standard like family y- young child film setup like right you know, um could be the only, sonic the hedgehog like yeah the only problem with the first half hour of space jam a new legacy is that there's not a single looney tune in the first half hour i take it back the game dot the, the game on game boy lebron is playing at the very beginning as a looney tune games crazy castle or something but otherwise there's none like in that first half hour you would be likely to forget your what you're about to watch like a looney tunes fueled space jam adventure and the spotlight in this movie is primarily on LeBron and his son and like that father son relationship. And, and that's good. I think, uh, then you get pulled into actually, you know, before I get too far away from it, let's talk about those performances. Cause I do want to, that's probably the best place to kind of talk about these people. The son Dom is fine. He's a child actor. He does an okay job. LeBron is not good, but like he's Michael Jordan wasn't good. Like when, when you make a yeah. Space Jam movie, you don't expect your your act your 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 athlete who's in the lead to be good. They just need to be the athlete. And he's LeBron James. So like in that way, he does a fine job. I I, I little few problems with him. Yeah, I mean I, I think he's fine. He's playing himself. That that's fine. He's done TV and in, in some film before. Like I don't I don't have a problem. I'm not expecting an Oscar worthy performance or for him to be anyone besides LeBron James in, in this movie. He's, he is fine. The performances yeah. are not an issue are not the issue with this movie. No. Well, there's a couple of small ones I wanted to address uh, mainly that one of the Warner brothers executives, when he actually goes up to the studio, one of them is Sarah Silverman, the comedian, the other is Steven Yoon who, I mean, it has to be the most underused I've ever seen him in a movie. He has like one yeah, line. He's I think like he has one line. Yeah. I'm like, did, did they make more of the movie and they cut him out? I don't get it. I, I, maybe he was just friends with the director. <laughs> really? Sure. At least the director's cut. Really weird. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Don Cheadle as the AI, his name is Al G rhythm, like Al algorithm. Right. But they just call him Al G. Uh, he he is probably the most miscast. He's supposed to be kind of this nefarious individual, and like 
he just comes off having fun, but ultimately a little flat. Anyway, they get sucked into like the green screen averse, right? The, the server verse. <laughs> and this is this is where the movie takes a big dive from where from what the original film was. The original movie was Michael Jordan meets the Warner Brothers, right? What's hot versus like what's not? This this old media versus new like meets new media, right? And that was kind of exciting. Space Jam: A New Legacy takes a diversion from that and that it takes the opportunity to show you every freaking Warner Brothers property they've ever made that's having even a modicum of success. LeBron flies past Harry Potter world and Game of Thrones world and Matrix world and there's probably Shining world because I know Pennywise is in this movie and like it, it go it, every cool Warner Brothers property, Iron Giant, King Kong, Godzilla, like everything neat, like they, they, they fly through and then you get to Looney Tunes world and it's like an afterthought. <laughs> and also none of the Looney Tunes are there except Bugs Bunny. <laughs> so they have to go save them from other worlds, right? So then you get a montage of going through other Warner Brothers properties. Then you get to the big game, which you've seen like in the trailer. That's like, it, you know, it's the game. And it, they're surrounded by all the Warner Brothers properties. It's a big billboard for Warner Brothers stuff, Andy. That's what, that's That's what's going on here. Yeah, so that's definitely one of the big issues is that there's all these... Uh, you know, pop culture references, but also just there's there are th- are properties referenced that are so old, like the adults of the children, the parents of the children that are going to see this movie are too young to know about a lot of these properties. Like there's the like the mask. I, I was like, there there may be adults who don't know about that movie. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's really weird. And the thing is, the kids are not going to know any of it. And a lot of these, I'm not a parent. But I'm gonna do some pearl clutching here. <laughs> there are a lot of like rated R properties and like f- actual film clips in this, and I was like, "Is this okay for the kids?" I'm not sure if I if I would be okay for, with uh, you know, like like you said, Pennywise is in here is in here, and and there's some other like I said, hard R uh, properties, and I'm like, I'm not real sure what that's doing in a kids movie. It's a little confusing. Yeah, and like most of them are like relegated to being out of focus. Like they're just out out of focus, like on the other side of the court, and you can't really get a good look at them. But like, if you're an adult, you can see them. And I th- I feel like the goal was to get audience members to be like, oh, oh, look at that. Look at that property I love. Ooh, Harry Potter world. That's neat. But like, it's so inundated that you just kind of stop looking at all of it and you see the big picture, which is like, man, somebody in marketing decided this movie is going to get made exclusively as like a marketing gimmick. Like that's, that feels like well, what it is. It reminded me of Wreck-It Ralph, uh, or like Ralph Breaks the Internet, um, because those movies did a little bit of that where a lot of the Disney properties get sprinkled throughout that. Um, but it's not near as heavy-handed in, in your face. And it's also much more relevant <laughs> properties. Like I said, there was stuff in here, and I was like, no one's going to know who that is if you're not yeah. like over 30 or 35. Yeah, and it's it's messy too. I mean, even in the soundtrack, like when he flies past Harry Potter world, there he weaves in Harry Potter music, and then he flies past Westeros. There's Game of Thrones music, and like it's they really lean in, and like it is an impressive billboard for everything they can do. But yeah, to to point out another property like Wreck It Ralph, like Wreck It Ralph was not exclusively Disney properties. Wreck It Ralph was supposed to be like, oh, you're in an arcade, so there's going to be like all kinds of video games in there. And that's exactly what Disney did. They went out and got licensing from all these different companies, Nintendo and Sega. Warner Brothers did not do any of that. They're like, no, no, no. This is Warner Brothers land. I mean, they it's got the WB logo real big on the server and like algae turns into the logo at one point and then turns like 
it's so obvious that like it is just it's Warner like they're stuff. it's they're like trying, they're gonna uh, like launch a streaming service or something yeah yeah it's like they're trying to indoctrinate people into the brand like look at all the properties we have and they don't have any of the value to keep you there that's the problem that's that's why warner brothers land wouldn't work as an amusement park nobody cares well and then also it it would it, it would have been one thing if they would have then incorporated this stuff into the uh the film itself but it i mean they really didn't. There's also a lot, and like a lot, a lot of it's really dated. There's a fair amount of Matrix properties, and I guess it's only because there's a new Matrix film coming out in December. Uh, but otherwise, that's is like super, super dated. Yeah, and you'd think they would do something with that, right? Like I kept waiting for like a Matrix Four gag or something, and like it never comes. They just reference it a lot, and they fly past Matrix World at one point, and you're like, "Huh, okay, that's neat," you know. And and um, they do do some clever stuff with like reusing old footage and putting tunes in it, right? Like that's kind of fun. Um, I'm trying to think of a movie that did that not that long ago. I don't they know, did, but right, well, right. They have a clip of like Mad Max, and then also. Uh, yeah, Fury Matrix. Road. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and there's War Boys in this. Anyway, like out, outside of the billboarding, um, I think a problem with kind of the setup, once LeBron gets with the tunes, they go do their thing, right? A big problem is that the tunes are like so clearly in the backseat. Like not only to LeBron James and the story with his son, but also like all of the other marketing <laughs> the stuff that's going movie, on. The whole movie, yeah. Yeah, the whole film. Like they are, they are an afterthought in every sense of the word. And it's such a bummer because like... In a weird way, that's exactly what the film is trying to say that they're not. The film is trying to say, oh, yeah, they're 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 like relegated. They're an old Warner Brothers property, but they're still relevant and they're still cool. And then you get to the end of the movie and it's like all of that. None of that matters. Like all of it was dumb. Braun just used him to win the stupid game, which was rigged anyway. The game, it's it's a baby game. Baby rules. Like you, they're not following traditional basketball rules. <laughs> the, the goon squad has all kinds of cheat codes and all kinds of stuff. And, and I guess... Between Bron having to share the spotlight with his son, Dom, in the movie, and then also having to split this this drama with the wife looking for him and his agent looking for him outside in the real world, and then Al G, Don Cheadle doing his thing, there there is very little time for just, like, Looney Tunes antics, and the ones that are there aren't good. I, I don't think I laughed once at anything the Looney Tunes did. So this is one thing I was thinking about. Like the Looney Tunes are definitely relegated, but also there are at this point they're a really old property, and I I don't think they're near as well known as and as relevant as they were when the original Space Jam came out. Because uh, like I grew up like watching like seeing Looney Tunes, like seeing old reruns on on TV. Like I'd seen a lot of the classic, like the Bugs Bunny does the opera thing. Like th- it was still very relevant to like culture then, but now. I was like, do kids even know who the Looney Tunes are? Do they know anyone besides Bugs Bunny? Do they know who Bugs Bunny is? Like, do any of these characters, do they, are there any shows with these characters? Like, they haven't done a movie with any of these characters in ages. Like, I was like, I think these are kind of long guy bond, bygone uh, properties at this point. And it's kind of, because now you you have like a bunch of superhero shows or other uh, Disney animated, like, these are like super just antiquated at this point I think. yeah and like I don't, Andy, i'm sure you remember there was a time in like the late 90s when like almost and maybe it's because it's probably because of space jam but like dude looney tunes were on all kinds of stuff they had like a gangster look so you get like a sweater with like taz having like a sideways hat on and stuff and that was like a totally normal yeah, thing. it was a huge like, thing yeah. yeah like looney tunes had like this weird renaissance it was probably because of space jam um 
this movie does not do them any favors. There is a Looney Tunes show actually right now. There's, there's a revival show on HBO. It's animated. Um, it's on HBO Max. And it's surprisingly okay. I've watched a few episodes because I do fancy myself a bit of a Looney Tunes fan from time to time. I love the tunes. But this movie does them no favors. Um, whereas the first one, it felt like it put Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes on like this surprisingly cool, respectable pedestal. This one does not like it just kind of pushes them out of the way. It uses them in the way it needs to. And then it's like, get out of the way. We're, we're trucking along with this family plot. That's really what's important here. And, and, and Jordan had kids in the first one. I remember that. Like that was a plot with his wife and the kids, but like one of them didn't get sucked into the game and they weren't trying to like cover his acting with like somebody else. Like it, it didn't stress that much about it. They kind of just made this simple movie and I think it popped this one. However, I think they, they go around over the top. They overthink everything. And like, it just comes off a little flat. Uh, the comedy is not particularly funny. Uh, I laughed twice. A Andy, I'm, did you ever laugh once? No, I don't think so. The, okay. uh, the, the, the gags are very, it's, I mean, they're very basic, very elementary. It's, I mean, it's a gag a minute, but they're not funny. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. even it's the painful. Looney Tunes stuff is not particularly funny. Like, I, and, and watching it, I'm like, I don't know if this is meant to be for old Looney Tunes fans or young new fans that they're trying to bring in, but either way, neither audience would laugh. Like as an old fan, I didn't laugh. I don't think children would laugh. Um, I wanted to say my 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 one my one good laugh in this movie came comes right at the half hour mark. LeBron gets dropped into Looney Tunes world, right? And you know how in the Looney Tunes, when like Wiley Coyote falls off a cliff, he falls down to the ground, and then it leaves like a Wiley Coyote shaped hole in the ground. Or like Bugs Bunny jumps through a wall and it leaves like a Bugs Bunny shaped hole. <laughs> LeBron falls through the ground, and his hole is like the Nike swoosh. I thought that was funny. Like his his shape just being like a corporate logo was funny to me. Other than that, dumb. Other than that, no laughs. Uh, and, and I didn't I didn't like it. But <sighs> Andy, what? It's what, well, it's what more? Too, is, what more can be? It's said? way too long. Uh, that's the other thing. It it's nearly two hours. Like I said, this is a kids' film aimed at very a very young audience. Um, yeah, and it, and it's just painfully long. Like this, this should have been. I mean, open and shut in ninety hundred minutes tops. Yeah, and it's nearly two hours. Um, it's just painful. It's a lot. Yeah, and I don't get it. Like it, it seems very obvious that they, they. I mean, they knew going in when you hire LeBron James to be the lead in your film, you know he hasn't done a lot of other films, really, like any. I think he's been in like two other things. You know he's gonna need a coach. You know he's gonna need work. You know he can't carry a whole performance. So you cast a kid on the side, and you put this subplot with the son who's trying to do a thing, and you put Don Cheadle in there. But even still, you want to limit. You want to limit the amount of time you have to fill on screen. And it's pushing two hours. It's like, dude, this should have been a tight 90. You guys should have been stressing I for mean, 90 minutes. And the thing is that, like, this is so underwhelming. Like, it almost feels like it should have been a straight-to-streaming special. Yes. Like, this should have been, like, an hour-long sp special on HBO. Yeah, and speaking of underwhelming while I'm thinking about it, the animation's really poor. Um, the hand-drawn animation looks worse than the Looney Tunes show <laughs> that's on right now. And this is the movie. Like, the movie's supposed to have the best animation. And, like, it looks terrible. And then the CGI, I think it looked okay in trailers, but watching it in motion in the film, it looks bad. They look cheap. The shadows aren't right. All their fur looks weird. Like, none of the animation comes off looking good, which only makes your Looney Tunes look worse um it's not funny it's definitely too long um but it is you know 
I guess, I guess the question I have, Andy, is this made for kids because it's genuinely made for a child audience or is it because that's the only people who might remotely enjoy Space Jam A New Legacy? I mean, it's definitely a family film. It's aimed at families in general. So they're trying to throw things that are, you know, for the kids and also for the adults. It's definitely aimed and written on, you know, a first grader, second grader level. <laughs> um, yeah. And, he, and even then it's it's really overly complicated. And then there's a lot of weird, like more adult things. Like I said, of references to all these uh, much more mature properties. Um, it's just it's really all over the place. Um, it, it's way too long for a kid's film, too. And that's that's the other thing I don't understand. Like if you the shorter your film is, the more screenings you can get in in a theater. So like it would be especially with kids like, you know, the parents are going to come see it like it would behoove you to have a shorter runtime. Yeah, it's it's just frustrating. Um, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Movies directed by Malcolm D. Lee, uh, former director of Scary Movie 5. Uh, that's unfair. He also directed Night School with Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish not that long ago, which I heard was okay. Uh, Barbershop, The Next Cut, Best Man's Holiday. Like, he's not he's not a bad director. I feel like you're just working on green screen sets with older properties, right? And LeBron, who does not have a lot of formal acting training. Like, there's a lot going against this movie. And I guess I, I, I hoped, considering how much effort Warner Brothers is willing to put into marketing... Uh, within the film and then around it, that they would have taken the effort to say, hey, we want to make something that's good. Space Jam fans probably want something that was a lot like the original. The first one felt like lightning in a bottle. That's what we need to capture again. And instead, they just 100% ignored that. And we're like, we're just going to cram as much IP into this movie as possible to maybe make a few extra ad dollars somewhere somewhere down the line. And that's it. It, it feels soulless. It feels faceless. Andy, Space Jam, a new legacy. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Any other thoughts for recommendations? Um, no, I think we're ready to move on. Andy, would you recommend Space Jam A New Legacy? Uh, hard, hard pass. This is now a Space Jam hate cast. Uh, no, yeah. it's it's really, it is really bad. I was on board with for the first half and I was like, this is a kid's movie. It's aimed at kids. It's doing fine on that level. Uh, but then once it, he gets kind of into the serververse and into the, and the game starts, it's all just, it's so ridiculous. A ton of references to all of Warner properties for, for some weird reason. Kids are, it's going to go over the majority uh, of kids' heads. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not funny. It's too long. Bad dialogue, mediocre performances. I, I think LeBron James is fine. Like, he's, you know, he's playing himself. Yeah, he's fine. You, def like, you definitely shouldn't have made him do that for two hours. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, these, like I said, these are just old properties. Like, if you go to, like, a seven-year-old and say, you know, who's, do you know Sylvester the Cat or Daffy Duck? Do you, like, are they, I would question whether or not they would know these properties. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. Hard pass. I mean, unless you've got little kids who like basketball or old cartoons and like want to watch a movie, then okay. But like those are already pretty niche. And I guess you could say the first film was niche as well. But like the first one, I feel like it was it was a, a licensing opportunity that created like a really interesting environment for like creativity to flow and you got some humor and you got a little bit of love and you got something that a lot of people look back fondly on. This is not that like, it just isn't, uh, it, it's got the bones of it, but this is, this is what happens when you do it in excess. When you have a company who clearly like does not care that much about the finish line, they just want to make as much money as they can and cram in any IP they already own. Really a shame. Uh, it just, it feels like from the top down, the script was written to be an opportunity for marketing and like, 
that's a bummer because it's not what the first movie was. Uh, I, I think fans deserve better. I think the Looney Tunes deserve better. LeBron James deserves better. Space Jam New Legacy, a real bummer. Yep. <sighs> and with that, we should move on to our next section of the podcast. Normally, we take this moment to uh, talk about something exciting in cinema, right? Talk about uh, uh, a new policy somebody's putting in place or, or theater owners who are striking against something Disney's doing. The death of cinema. But today, we're talking about something different. Upcoming trailers. New, exciting things that are coming around the corner. Andy, what do we call this section? It's time for the trailer park. Perfect. Yes, the trailer park. And today we've got three trailers to look at. We're excited to talk about them. I'm going to be taking the first one here. The movie is Blue Bayou. Blue Bayou is one of those movies you probably haven't heard of yet. Uh, it is what we in the off script circles call bold cinema. It'll probably come to an art house theater. You probably won't see it. Uh, but if you do, <laughs> if you have, and if you have the chance to watch this trailer, I'd encourage you to, because there's something really interesting happening here. Blue Bayou is the story of, I'm not sure if he has a title yet on IMDb, Antonio, yes, a Korean-American man who's raised in the Louisiana Bayou, born and bred, or almost born and bred, uh, who works hard to make a life for his family. And uh, one day he discovers, after getting uh, wrongfully arrested, uh, that he may be deported because he wasn't actually born in America. Uh, he came over here when he was a little baby. Uh, somebody brought him over. But he never actually got a citizenship, and he may be taken away from his family and everything he knows. Uh, in the trailer, it looks like he turns to a bit of a life of crime to do something about this. I'm not really sure. That's just the imagery we've seen. Uh, he's got a girlfriend, uh, played by Lisa Vikander, who looks very exciting. Uh, really, really interesting Interesting looking movie here, directed by Justin Chan. Andy, any hot takes on Blue Bayou? Um, yeah, it, it looks really good. Looks really kind of uh, this potentially heartbreaking drama. Uh, definitely something to look at uh, kind of towards award season. It, it looks really kind of gritty and a little grim in, in its filming. Uh, nice to see Alicia Vikander in uh, this kind of real dramatic role like this. Uh, she's always great. Um, yeah, I'm... The, I'm looking forward to this, but also it, it looks really heavy. Yeah, it looks super heavy for sure. Um, but I, it's one of those movies that feels like it's important. You know, I think um, especially like uh, having Asian representation in movies now is is a little bit more desired. And this checks off a lot of boxes. It's a story about somebody who uh, seems on the surface like they would be as normal as everybody else, right? Your friendly, friendly stranger next door. And uh, then it turns out that... They got problems, uh, and and that's interesting to me. It seems timely. Uh, it seems like a cool movie. I hope to find out more about it when it comes out in uh, September, September seventeenth. Andy, you got the next one. Uh, what else are we watching? Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the new Pixar entry that comes out in the spring of twenty twenty two, which is called Turning Red, which is about. Uh, in the trailer, we see a young girl at school. Uh, ready to uh, you know learn and and do all the those things and uh, someone says hey isn't, isn't that your mom out outside and she turns and and looks like uh, and her mom is out there hiding behind a, behind a tree kind of peering in at her middle schooler and she's just you know embarrassed and and really excited and uh, she gets so embarrassed and because everyone begins to notice that there's this woman looking at her uh, she explodes and turns into a giant red panda um, of all things and uh, 
that's kind of the premise of the movie is that is that our character who i'm sure this is a, a parallel for like social anxiety or um <laughs> she gets like i said she gets very excited and then just turns into this giant red panda this looks like a lot of fun looks really sweet uh sandra O oh is in it she plays uh the mother um pixar always does good although i i am starting to notice a difference between spring pixar and like summer pixar uh-huh. And usually the spring stuff isn't quite up to par, uh, but it does look really cute. Does look really sweet. Yeah, the uh, the B string Pixar animation team, right? You're like, okay, you you guys make your movie over here. We're gonna make the good stuff for the summer crew, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Turning Red looks like a lot of fun. I, I know this is basically a teaser trailer, um, but Pixar has a tendency when they when they really want to turn out a good teaser trailer, it's like a couple minutes long. There's a bit of like a skit to it. It's almost like watching a short film, right? To get ready for the film. Like here's a little bit of setting and pace and character and give you an idea of what we're getting into. Um, and it looks like good stuff. Uh, it looks like it's set in Canada. Uh, I was reading the Reddit no, comments. Yeah. Is it? It definitely looks like it's set in like an Asian country. Oh, for sure. No, I was reading the Reddit comments and people were saying in the background, they were like, hey, there's like two buildings in, from Toronto back there. So like it looks like they're in like the little tr- li- you know, little 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 east east part of Canada. Oh, I, I was going to say little China, but I think that's probably horribly uh, ignorant of me to say. So the little, I don't know, a section of Toronto that seems particularly, uh, I don't Asian. know, <laughs> culturally appropriate for this film, I guess. I know, dude, I'm stumbling all over myself. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate it. Yeah, this movie looks fun. I, I, I think it looks good. I'd be interested to find out more about the like anxiety angle of it, because this girl seems real stressed real stress and i don't really understand why if her mom's outside so i guess that's the exciting part about going to see the well, you know how middle schoolers are you get embarrassed when your parents are around dude my middle school didn't even have windows my middle school was designed by a guy who made jails like i i, I have no idea what that sensation's like but uh anyway it looks like good stuff turning red that's coming out in spring 2022 we don't actually have a hard date yet i think they're a little hesitant of putting dates on things ever since you know the world shut down for a pandemic they're just gonna wait they're gonna wait and see when it comes out but that's that's when we're headed our last film that we're looking at trailers for this one you likely haven't seen the trailer for so i'm gonna do my best to describe it to you the movie is memoria so memoria or memoria gotta be memoria uh it stars what is her oh my god i just had tilda swinton Swinton. i always want to say like taya leone or somebody like that and it's not it's tilda swinton tilda swinton tilda swinton anyway tilda swinton plays a woman from scotland who's traveling in columbia when one morning right at daybreak she wakes up and she hears this loud bewildering bang sound and and ever since that one particular moment that she hears out in the wilderness this is unearthly bang uh, she begins experiencing a mysterious sensory syndrome while traveling. Uh, the trailer makes it look like it's almost like a, a synesthesia kind of thing. You hear something and you feel something else or, or something along those, those means. But really odd trailer. Really artsy. Very, very much bold cinema. I feel like we'll have to go to a weird, weird, weird uh, theater in town to see this because this will not be playing at our local like megaplex. There's no way. It's directed by a, a Taiwanese individual whose name I cannot pronounce. I don't know. If, Andy, you want to take a swing at it? Uh, no, I no, no. Okay, I I, I, I actually I can't. I, I'm I, sure we, we, we should. Offend- we do need. We do need yep. to try and say this for the show. But, uh, the director is Apichatapong. We were asked Cathol. Probably. Ask- it's yeah it's a difficult it, name i meant to look it up how to pronounce this we need uh, to yeah it is a long if, if we do end up watching this for the show we'll make sure to get it right that's important um but memoria is unique it's it's a trailer that's got a different kind of energy it's something i haven't seen in a little while 
Uh, and it caught my eye. And I want to talk about it. Andy, what do you think? Uh, I I really love this trailer, man. It it really got me going. It's so mysterious uh, because uh, we see Tilda Swinton uh, kind of talking with uh, like a, a music. Uh, she's like in a in a music studio and she's describing the sound and he's trying to recreate it. Um, and you know, you just kind of get these loud pounding. And you know, she describes it and it, it, he was as like you know, she's like it starts with like a bang, like it came from the core of the earth. Uh, you know, and there's just. You know, she's wandering kind of through the, these jungles uh, of Colombia, and so it's it's almost like like there's something there, like there's something beyond the woods, beyond the forest, and like it's you know, is it? <laughs> I was saying, is it Sasquatch? Is it Swamp Thing? Is it like you know, something is out there, and we we don't yeah. really know what it is, but it it's like she's become in tune to more, and yeah, I it it really caught my eye. It looks really kind of, and it's a little creepy um very mysterious and i'm definitely really intrigued yeah same here i i i i love the the trailer setup you're right like her talking to a sound engineer and trying to like explain it and the guy's got all these knobs and this panel in front of him and he's just like what what is it what does it sound like okay and then you just kind of intercut it with like weird spooky footage of the woods and the jungle and it's like okay something something's going on in this movie so i hope it's good stuff i'm i'm interested to see it i hope you will hear whatever this nonsense is we're talking about and go see the trailer for yourself and see if it's something you want to see now the hard part's out of the way for me andy's got to carry the rest of the show andy's <laughs> agreed to take the summary on our second film andy please take it away Gunpowder milkshake. I need to exchange some books. Come. So this is the latest entry on Netflix. It's a an all-female-led action uh, film. It's got this great cast of a uh, Karen Gillan, Alina uh, Headey, um, Carla Gugino. I'm just gonna do it from memory. <laughs> memory. Carla Gugino, uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, and Angela Bassett, as well as Paul Giamatti. Uh, they are all assassins in this assassin squad, or they work for a you know assassin company. Uh, as as I feel like a lot of these movies, the plot plot is a little complicated. So I'm gonna do my best. At the very beginning, we meet a uh, young Sam, uh, who will later be played by uh, Karen Gillan at this diner for assassins, I, I guess. And her and Lena Hede ha- have this kind of heart-to-heart talk, and she's just a young teenager, and uh, Lena Hede is going to have to leave, and she's like, I'm sorry, I love you, but I've... Uh, and, and it's like she killed the wrong person, and now they're going to come after her, so she's got to run. So and she so she she leaves her daughter behind, who somehow gets involved in the assassin game, too, and she becomes an assassin as well. And then we finally get fast forward 15 years and get to the the real story where Karen Gillan is now this highly sought after assassin. She gets, uh, you know, she gets a contract to kill someone who was stolen from the firm, which is the firm that, that deals with these assassins. And, uh, you know, we, we get one of those, well, who's stupid enough to steal from us? And she goes after this person, uh, mortally wounds him and then finds out, Oh, he's, not really a bad guy. He was actually stealing because someone had has kidnapped his daughter and is holding her for ransom. So then Karen Gillen, you know, she's an assassin with a heart of gold, goes after, you know, to save the the girl, but also kills the wrong guy. And now the firm is after her. So she's 
an assassin with a heart of gold. You got to look after the child. You got the bad guys coming after you. And all the female assassins are a part of this like library thing as well. And where, you know, they have these words that are not very cleverly coded when they're like, oh, I need some books when they're (laughs) referring to guns. And um, there's this whole library thing, which completely doesn't work, but (laughs) but it's in there anyways. There's a lot to talk about in this movie, and that's the complicated plot. Um, hopefully, uh, you're not too lost. Uh, Zach, what'd you think? Um, so I was not a fan of this movie, and, and which is a shame because, I mean, looking at it, if you've seen any imagery for it, if you've seen the trailer, if you've seen the poster, we've got it up on Facebook right now if you're watching with us, uh, it looks cool. You've got a killer cast. I mean, like you said, you, you can remember them off the top of your head. Karen Gillan, Lena Headey, uh, Carl Gina, Angela Bassett, Michelle Yeoh, Paul Giamatti, solid. Uh, you've got some neon, like uh, Karen Gillan's wearing a bomber jacket and like, there's lots of guns. There's like this cool library, right? Like this sounds pretty dope. This this sounds like a movie that could be sick. Like I, I'm in this Lena Headey's holding a shotgun on the poster for God's sake. Like it looks great. No dude, it's all flash and like no actual substance. It's all foam and no beer. And it's such a shame too, because I mean, when we first saw this trailer, I thought, oh, there's something to send new. You did too. And then we found out it was going straight to Netflix and we were like, oh, well I should say, I, I was kind of excited about that. And then you were the one to point out, wait, 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 no. No, no, no. When something goes straight to Netflix, that could be bad. And I was like, that's true. <laughs> and you were so right, dude. And it's such a shame. Like, it, it's such a cool looking movie, but like, it doesn't have any substance. It's such a bummer. Anyway. It continue. It continues the Netflix tradition of putting out mediocre action films uh, with lots of star power. Um, if you'll recall, last summer we saw this in Extraction with Crims Hemsworth and The Old Guard with uh, Charlize Theron. There was a third movie that also came out last summer that I can't remember, but they kind of do this. I mean, so much of that of what Netflix puts out is just mediocre, but they will spend money to get the star power there. And then, you know, it, it kind of works. It got us to, to watch this. Um, but this movie is, is kind of bad and it does not work on, uh, multiple levels. And this whole cast is, is wasted. Um, first of all, half these women are not actually in the film for like the majority like the first hour most most of of the film yes yeah the entire first half is just karen gillen none of the rest of them are are really really there and the other thing it's it's a ripoff of so many better films like the whole firm thing is like that's from john wick it's got a lot of stylized slow-mo stuff when it which reminds me of like kill bill or tarantino stuff it just it reminded me that i would rather be watching better other better action movies yeah, big time. Like it 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 seems like on the offset like it's going to have this really cool structure to it and they're going to be like this bomb group of like women who are killer and really they all just kind of serve larger faceless masters. Much like something out of a John Wick film, right? Like this this secret organization or whatever of spies or mercenaries. And like you never really get to any of the goods. All of them are pretty flat. The whole movie I think probably had like six or seven sets that they filmed on that's it any any window is a green screen you never actually see outside like it just feels really small and like i think you you can make a small movie with the small cast and make it work but when you make it look like it's going to be like john wick but for gals and then it totally isn't it's a big misfire and like I can't figure out who they were trying to make this movie for exactly because it, it it has high aspirations. I think it has lofty goals, but it just doesn't get there. Um, so we should talk about why. 
Oh gosh, where where to start? So where to start? Uh, first, I know. first of all, the I'm going to start with the writing. The writing is so bad. It's like you know, a twelve year old. Uh, writing the dialogue. Uh, you don't believe any of these um, kind of relationships, like, you know, the kind of tension between the, the mom and daughter, between uh, Lena Headey and uh, Karen Gillan, completely not uh, convinced, convincing in any ways. When, they, when she goes to the library to meet the other ladies, they all have really just bland and cliched uh, dialogue. Like, a whole, like I said, the whole thing with the library and like there's guns and all these books, um, super lame. And also, like, really inconvenient, like at 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 when they when they actually need these these weapons, like it's it, it's like they're they're speaking in code, but like everyone knows you're speaking in code. Like, I'm here for books. Well, have you tried the self help section? You know, it, it's so dumb. Yeah, it feels like the library thing probably should have been its own film, um, and you probably shouldn't have called this gunpowder milkshake. You should have called it like the library or something, or like the librarians. I don't know. You could you could have made that into its own thing. But it doesn't. It, do- it doesn't lean too hard on that till about the last act, really. Uh, other than that, we're kind of out doing our own thing. Uh, Sam, played by Karen Gillan, uh, is, uh, she goes to the same diner every day, which is a 50s diner, and she orders the same milkshake every day. But she's, she's an exciting assassin in the world of assassins, I guess. No nonsense, too, by the way. She's a straight-up cold-blooded murderer. All of them are. They will, like, stab people. They don't even care fake blood goes everywhere it's real legit and uh she's she's trying to you know get get tangled back up with well not tangled up with her mom i should i guess i should say but her mom left her when she was a young age lena hetty and she's trying to find her own way in the world and and ultimately ends up stumbling back into uh lena hetty which is very fortunate because lena hetty definitely helps with this film but the script is terrible and I feel like they're doing their best with the dialogue, like to make it convincing. But yeah, it's char- just so it's just so bad. Right. But their characters are also awful. Like, how am I going to feel bad for Karen Gillan when I just watched her like cold blooded murder six dudes? I'm like, I don't you, you're not yeah, they- you're not like a character. You're just kind of a flat person, like with no soul, you know, and, and all of them seem to be presented that way. Yeah, like this this assassin with a uh, heart of gold uh, trope is really it's pretty un- unbelievable and and problematic. And yeah, there's this whole thing where like they're they're trying not to cuss around the uh, the young girl. I'm like, you you guys are literally killing people, and you're killing people in front of her. Like, uh, I don't think right. Like the movie's gonna get its R rating either way. I don't I, you can let lay off the gag. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's just it, it's so not funny. And and yeah, like uh, she abandoned. Her. And the other thing when you, when we meet. Uh, Lena Headey, fifteen years later, she look. First of all, she looks exactly the same, and the, and it's just like, oh no, where have you been for fifteen years? You right. you know, you're a bad mother, and and some of her other partners were like, we didn't expect you to leave for fifteen years. It's just like, it's God, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad for sure. Um, yeah, our our characters don't really have a whole lot of time to flourish. Uh, Karen Gillan is trying to be this uh, quiet protagonist, but also take care of this young girl, Emily. Uh, who's who's recently come into her her circles because she murdered somebody very close to her, and she feels bad about it. Basically, by the way, the young girl Emily is played by the little girl that's in My Spy, that like Dave Batista movie where he was running around with a girl that you never saw. That's that girl. So you have an you know exactly who who we're talking about here, Emily, right? Uh, and and she's okay for a child actress. I mean, she's fine. Um, but really, it just feels like none of this cast had any room to run with the script. Like, it's just kind of flat and boring, and all of them are unlikable characters. Nobody's particularly interesting. Um, 
I remember Andy saw this about a day before I did. And you were telling me, hey, it's be ready. It's not, you know, it's it's maybe not as glowing as you thought it would be. And I said, well, hold on, Andy. Is it is it trying to circle back around and be like a, a a commentary on the genre? Is it trying to say something about these films? Maybe it's saying that these <laughs> movies are cheesy on purpose, and it's like making a mockery of them by doing it in the same style, right? Almost like uh, Austin Powers and James Bond, or or, or uh, yeah, like I feel like that's a fine metaphor. Yeah. And you were like, no, 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 it's not trying to do that. I was like, well, maybe maybe Andy just misread it, and then I watched it. It was like, no. <laughs> No, you're 100 percent right. It's not. It's it's just doing the same thing, but worse. Yeah, it's it's really a shame. So I, I wanted to talk about the humor in the movie. Um, there's a lot of um, jokes and gags, and that are completely unfunny. Like they're cringeworthy and just embarrassingly unfunny. There's a section where uh, the, these three goons go go to uh, murder uh, Karen Gillan, and uh, they don't succeed. They they she beats them up, and then they're they're injured. They go to the the mob hospital where she she inevitably ends up fighting them again. But her her arms have been like uh, they're Disabled. like numb. She has no f- yeah. yeah, and so she's like sweet, but her guns are like taped to her hands, so she's like swinging around. It's a really weird action sequence. It's not funny at all. It's supposed to be this gag because they're like on crutches and bandaged up. It's the unfunniest thing I've seen. Like this and Space Jam Two are competing for the most unfunny humor. Yeah, this, this weekend it's so yeah. It's just it's not funny at all, and it's trying yeah, to be. That scene is weird because I, I yeah I felt like it was trying to be funny. Right, these guys are actually high on laughing gas, so they're like laughing a bunch, which also is not funny. But I think it was supposed to be funny. Um, but these, you know, these three kind of goons who like, she beats up in a bowling alley when she gets this orange bomber jacket, she goes throughout the film and then they show up again and they're all beat to hell, but they're wearing like bandages and stuff. Kind of funny, you know? And then they go face off with her again. And she's like, other than this one minor temporary injury, she's pretty much fine. And they're all beat to hell. And they're like round two, baby, let's go funny, right? Like, okay, that's kind of funny. And and I thought, okay, well, these three dudes, they're going to be like this this little posse that follows her around and steadily gets more and more beat up, right? Like the picture of Dorian Gray for her. Like they, they're taking all the damage. They're, they're getting the hell beat out. And by the end of the movie, there's going to be nothing left. I thought that was the way it was going to go. But no, that that bat, that fight scene is played for absolutely no laughs at all. It's not It's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be serious, I think. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, that felt really weird tonally. And then it just kind of slides into the next scene. And like the whole movie's that way. Like I couldn't I couldn't decide if it was trying to pay homage to something or be its own beast. But either way, it it just kind of flops. It's just flat. It's not exciting. It just felt like it was ripping off everything. Um, No, I want to talk about the action a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to go. Yeah. Well, go ahead, please. Don't let me stop you. So. You know the the action in in this. Uh, some of it's okay. Some of it's uh, you know kind of fun. Most of it is really bad. Uh, and again, like the laughs, it just it doesn't work. It doesn't look look good. Uh, there's a lot of things where like the cut. There's a lot of cuts, and it's and it's like you know. Karen Jen will throw throw a punch and then there's a cut and then she does like a backflip, which is clearly the stunt double. And then it goes back to her land. There's a lot of that stuff where it's like, well, she's clearly not doing the stunts or she clearly isn't doing a lot of like the hand to hand combat. And it's just the, the action comes off. It is pretty bland. The other thing, there, there's a part where Harleen <laughs> Heaty's guns have like a bayonet that comes out of her pistols. And it's just like, this is definitely like, a, again, like a middle schooler wrote this. Um, right. It's, it's just so... 
Yeah, it, and some of it is, is, you know, it's pretty brutal. Um, so it feels a little bone crunchy sometimes, but a lot of times it's, I mean, it's just like, it's a, it's like a living cartoon. Yeah, it just feels fake. Like that's, that's how I felt. I didn't feel so much bone crunchy. It's just like, ooh, all right, the Foley artist really had to crunch some celery on that scene. Like, man, that was, that was tough. Uh, I, I again, I feel like Karen Gillan is working with what she's got, but it's not much. It's it's a really thin script, and, and Lena Headey's guns have bayonets on them, and they have little tribal patterns on the side, like you would draw if you were in middle school. <laughs> but it doesn't have like the fun, exciting, explosive middle school energy. Like it's just kind of bland. I know I keep saying it, but it's one of those things you got to watch. The editing is worth mentioning. Like Andy said, Karen Gillan's like clumsy punch to backflip back to punch which is very clearly like a stunt double that's being swapped in there that's not the whole film like that doesn't go away it's it's consistently bad um i was going to criticize the cinematography placement of the camera and the lighting but some of that's decent and i think is the reason the trailer is able to work the editing is the reason it's so poor jokes don't land windows are very obviously green screens like it's it just becomes very clear that like this is just kind of put together poorly and i think somebody could have gone in with a red pen and tightened up a lot of it and made it work a little bit better um but it's just not there yeah i i feel if you just watch the trailer like that's all you need to watch it you'll see all the cool stuff there i think probably my there is one thing that stood out i did like i feel like angela bassett is actually doing like like her dialogue is awful too but i feel like she sells it the best um and she does have a really nice moment where she like stone cold stuns someone into into like a milkshake and the glass shatters in his face that 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 was pretty good that's like the (laughs) only thing i was like that was awesome Yeah, that and that that fight scene, by the way, when that happens, it's kind of well shot. It's this long tracking shot where you have like these women who are all fighting in slow motion in a diner, like a bunch of bad guys in there. And they're they're in there with guns, spinning around, shooting, grab a guy, slam his head into a milkshake, and it's all set in slow motion. It's got music laid over it. And like that would be great in practice, except like it was horribly choreographed, and you see dudes reacting to green to, to like CGI bullets before they hit them. Like one guy like throws his head back like he just got shot, and then three seconds later, Lena Headey's character shoots him with the CGI gun, and then it goes, and it's just like, oh, this is really poorly blocked. The soundtrack is really bad. It's not. Um, I don't think it was orchestrated for the film, and it's got this whole mariachi thing going for it, which like this movie. It, in yeah, no it's, way has anything Spanish in it at all. Uh, well, it's I not think even it's trying, trying to, to be like a Western. It's like a, that doesn't it's come a, off. It's attempting to invoke the spaghetti Western and definitely some uh, some Morricone uh, soundtrack. That's what I was reminded of. And again, the the, the Kill Kill Bill did some of that as well. Use these sure. old spaghetti Western soundtrack. That's true. Again, it's trying to invoke all these things and it just completely fails. Yeah. Kill Bill's action scenes are cut to the sound. Like they're cut to the music. Like, so it has a flow and a beat. Tarantino is very specific about doing that. Edgar Wright does it great. And look at baby driver. Um, this movie does the opposite. It's like they cut it in advance and then they're like, we need a song to put over this. It needs some energy here, put this on it. And like the beats per minute don't match. And it just feels awkward. And there's like a handful of action scenes that do this. Um, I realize I'm starting to talk in circles around gunpowder milkshake, so I'll wrap things up. But uh, Andy, what, what else is worth worth nailing here? I mean, again, it, so I, I'm remo- reminded of some other like action comedies, like uh, Kung Fu Hustle comes to mind, and it's like you know whatever style of action movie you got to do, the action's got to be be great. Like we watched Nobody last week, which was kind of 
uh, you know, that was a bit of, of an action comedy as well, but the action was top-notch. It was really solid, really visceral. looked like Bob Odenkirk was, was really, like, beating everyone up. Um, and it's just, it's done so badly in this movie. Yeah. The things that really stand out in this film seem to be, like, the costuming, I guess. Really, the set design. There there are a couple great sets. The library there is cool. This bowling alley with, like, these LED panels on the wall are cool. Like... The set design's solid, and and the cinematography is pretty good. Although I do think this movie's a little overlit, if that makes any sense. One too many lights. John Wick's a little dark. Nobody's a little dark. This doesn't have that luxury. It's just kind of bright all the time. Anyway, uh, but it just feels like at its helm, editing direction, it was just lacking. It, they just they needed somebody to go through and kind of follow it up and say, hey, here's here's where you can tighten this up or fix this. And it's just not there. I, I don't know what the development looked like behind this film. Uh, when I was pulling posters for the movie, I found multiple posters featuring different titles. So I don't know if it's because they were still figuring it out for different regions, like in France and England, maybe a different translation. But if I didn't know any better, it's because they genuinely didn't know when they started making this movie. They didn't know exactly where it was going to end. And they were like, we'll just figure it out along the way. And and much like the last three Star Wars movies, this is what happens when you make a film with like by committee and you don't really have like a clear plan, you know, for all I know, this movie had a totally different plot, like at some point, And this is what we ended up with. I mean, who knows? Yeah, it's it just it, it doesn't work on so, so many. I was going to mention it's way too long. It's near it's two hours. Hour 54. Yeah, too long. And and it. um Yeah, I mean, most you might you might have gotten away with a little bit more if it, just with the shorter runtime, which I'm going to always say I'm convinced 100 minutes is the perfect film length. Yeah, <laughs> I was on uh, that hill. It's true. Yeah. Like if it's, if it's, if it's longer than a hundred minutes, you better have some, a really good reason for me to stay in that seat. Cause otherwise, I mean, come on, tie yeah. it up. <sighs> Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend gunpowder milkshake? Hard pass back to back hard passes to me. Yeah. Um, it's not a good movie. It's way too long. Uh, the action is bad. The dialogue is atrocious. Um, it's not funny. And uh, this it, this cast is completely wasted. Again, great female cast. Half of them are not in the movie for the majority of the movie's runtime. And then when everyone is ever, they're basically in in the action scenes. Um, the, when you get the whole group, all five of them. But uh, it's mostly just Karen Gillan and a little bit more Lena Headey. But their relationship is not convincing. Uh, the relationships between them and the other female assassins aren't really there. They are everyone is mostly invincible. You know. No, there's never any sense of danger for anyone as well, except the bad guys. It's a ripoff of John Wick, of Kill Bill, of lots of other better movies. Go see those better movies. Yeah, uh, same here, hard pass. Uh, I'm convinced Michelle Yeoh was on set for no longer than two days when they made this movie. There's no way she was on set for longer than two days. Um, she's in three scenes. She has two costumes in the whole film. Like, there's no way, yeah. you know? Carla Gugino and Angela Bassett around a little bit more, but, like, not much. It just it just feels like they didn't know what they were doing. And it's it's trying to be a movie that it so clearly isn't. It's, it's, it's almost like seeing... Like a new Nick Cage movie on Netflix, right? You see the poster, you see the thumbnail, and you're like, oh, Nicolas Cage, I love him. This must be kind of good. And then you start it after like 10 minutes, you're like, oh God, this is one of those bad ones. That's what this is. It's just not good. And it's such a shame because it looked cool and it sounded cool and they've got a great cast. Totally wasted. Missed opportunity in Gunpowder Milkshake. 
And that about wraps our show. Andy, when was the last time we had two duds back to back? That doesn't happen often on this show. Uh, I don't know, but I want to point out this is what we do. This we make the sacrifices so you don't have to. That's right. Movies are expensive. Podcasts are cheap. Subscribe to Offscript so you can find out more about what we're doing. And uh, speaking of what we're doing, Andy, what are we watching next week? Well, we both of us are going to be doing some traveling uh, next week. Um, Yes. So we're taking we are taking the week off, but there are some upcoming releases we wanted to make sure you know about. so this Friday, the 23rd, Old uh, comes out, which is a M. Night Shyamalan uh, thriller, horror, uh, whatever that is. Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origin, starring Henry Golding, also comes out uh, this week. And the following week uh, is Disney's Jungle Cruise, starring uh, Dwayne Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a big hit for Disney. And our favorite that we're really looking forward to, The Green Knight, uh, comes out July 30th. So we will be back on uh, August 4th, uh, Wednesday. That's when we'll do our next show. And we will probably be doing Old and The Green Knight. Yes, uh, that is the plan. Come back in two weeks with Old and The Green Knight. Very excited for those features. Really The Green Knight, I'm going to be honest. And I shouldn't get too overhyped about it. It's A24. It could be anything. But I, I mean, Andy, you're in the same boat with me, right? Old just looks a little predictable. I feel like I know what's going to happen in that movie. Yeah, well, I feel I like know. whatever happens, it's not going to be that deep or profound. Yeah, like I feel like the trailer just kind of says, hey, here's the whole film. Something will happen at the end, but I don't know if it's going to be any more exciting than what I've already seen. Very excited for David Lowry's The Green Knight. If you are excited about these movies with us, if you want to know what we're going to be talking about them in just a couple of weeks, or if you want to go back and catch some of our older episodes, maybe see what we've been up to, you can find us on Facebook, where we live stream the show every Tuesday. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We're on YouTube, where we upload all our old episodes. And of course, we're on all audio platforms as well. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. I think we're on iHeartMedia, the usuals. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can subscribe on any or all of those platforms to keep up with us and what we're doing. You can rate and review us to, uh, I don't know, weigh in. Throw, throw, throw us those four or five stars, preferably five if you have the means. Uh, and, you know, tell, tell us what you think of the show. If you correspond with us, you usually read your correspondence on the air. So, uh, I don't know. Let us know what you think. And check, us our, check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, and leave us a message at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Calm. I think that covers all the bases from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.